0: And 30% of your housing stock that's being sold is at a distressed price that's going to continue to have implications on home values. So that could potentially exacerbate the problem.
1: There's just one thing. Job down in the city. You see, we never, ever do nothing. Nice. Easy. Day. We always but do it. I never lost nice. One it's rough. Now we're but we're gonna take the beginning of this song thing
2: and do it been. easy. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Robert Smith and
3: I'm Zoe Chase. Today is Friday, October 14th, and that was the CEO of Realty Track, James
2: Sacasio. You heard it at the top today on the podcast. How bad could it get when Greece defaults on its loans? There is a worst case scenario, and that scenario has a name:
3: Argentina, 2001.
2: Well, look at what happens when a country tells its
3: creditors. To go screw themselves. But first, the Planet Money Indicator from my friend and yours, Caitlin Kenny.
4: Hey guys. Today's Planet Money indicator is 1.1%. That's how much retail sales rose from August to September. Now, Robert Smith, I see you giving me a skeptical look over
2: here. Ooh, (laughs) 1%. I know. I
4: know. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but I swear it is, because there's so much dismal news in the economy right now, unemployment, home sales. But what this number means is that even though people are nervous about what's going on, they're still opening up their wallets and they're spending money. And this is a big deal, because the only way the economy is going to grow is if people go out there and and buy stuff. And if you look at the number from July to August, sales only increased 0.3%. So 1.1 is a big deal.
2: (laughs) Way to look for uh, the optimistic view of this. But I I have to say there, there was another number that came out today, which was the consumer sentiment number, how people feel about the economy, And that was ridiculously low. People are depressed about the economy, and yet you say they're spending?
4: No, that's true. It did hit a 30-year low. But (laughs) economists say – There we go. I'm going to be optimistic here. (laughs) Economists say that you really need to pay attention to what people do and not what they say. And if we look at what people do, if we look at these sales numbers, people are out there spending money. So even though they're not feeling so great, they're still spending money.
2: And what are they spending it on?
4: Well, the main thing is actually cars and car parts. Sales of autos and parts increased 3.6%. And this is an even bigger deal because a car is a huge purchase. And if you're feeling nervous about the economy and the way things are going to go, it's generally the type of purchase you're going to put off because you have to pay for it a while. It's a big chunk of money. But the fact that people are going out there and buying cars means that, you know, they're feeling okay enough about the situation that they're willing to commit to making that size of a purchase, which is... A big deal. Yeah,
2: or they've just put off buying a car for so many years now with the economic downturn that it's finally a junker. It's falling apart. You know, The end is about to drop no, out. No, that is true. And it finally people are like, oh, i got to buy a new car.
4: I was reading something today that said that the average amount of time people keep their cars has increased to something like 11 years. And it's gone up from, I think it was around six or something like that. But the fact is, people are still going out there. They're still spending money. And if we want our economy to grow, which we do... Consumer spending is two-thirds of GDP, and that's huge. So it's good news, despite all your attempts to downplay it. It's good news.
2: (laughs) I feel like you've undone all of the depressing work that Jacob (laughs) has done for years here to get people in the dumps about the economy. But thank you, Caitlin.
4: What can I say? I'm a glass-half-full kind of girl. Thanks, guys.
2: All right, on to the podcast. We all know what happens if a person stops paying their bills. You get angry letters, phone calls, bankruptcy then you look out the window and there's a repo man trying to take the Chevy.
3: When a country stiffs its creditors, it turns out the same thing happens. All the way down to the lawsuits and the repo men coming, but they're
2: trying to tow away your battleships. It does get ugly. And this is why Europe and investors around the world are so obsessed right now with Greece. We're going to come right out and say it. Greece is never going to pay back all of its loans. I don't think it's bold in saying it will default. Yes. That seems clear, but... This is the catch. There are many different ways a country can default. To paraphrase Tina Turner, you can do this nice and easy or nice and rough. Nice and easy is the scenario that everyone is desperately trying to make happen in Greece right now. The banks and investors who, let's be honest, unwisely lent to Greece in the first place, they would voluntarily accept less than full repayment. Maybe you've heard there was a deal out there to maybe pay 79 cents on the euro or as low as 50 cents on the euro. If that deal can be worked out, Greece will default, but not catastrophically.
3: The other end of the spectrum is the nice and rough one, and that's Argentina, the largest sovereign default in history.
2: The
1: Argentines really know how to default with flourish, I must say, that uh, they do it with a lot of flair and drama.
2: That's Harvard economist Ken Rogoff. He's kind of a, a connoisseur of countries defaulting. The Argentinian bankruptcy was so traumatic, so far-reaching in its implications, it is now the nightmare scenario for Greece. And the parallels between the two countries are scary.
3: Argentina began its downhill slide, much like Greece did, with a dream of playing with the big kids. For Greece, it was joining the countries in Europe. For Argentina, it was a partnership with an even bigger boss, the United States.
2: All right, let's go back to the early 1990s. Clinton was president. The United States was going through a small recession. But as bad as it was in the U.S., it was far, far worse in Argentina. A recession was making the Argentinian currency go crazy. There was hyperinflation. Products were going up in prices by, you know, 1,000%. No one wanted to keep money in the banks because it wouldn't be worth anything the next day. No one was willing to invest in Argentina because their money could just disappear overnight because of inflation.
3: Argentina finally did what desperate countries do in these circumstances. They admitted they were powerless to control their own currency. So they gave up trying. Argentina
2: pegged its peso to the U.S. dollar. Now, we've talked before on Planet Money about pegging your currency, and it is a gutsy move. The Argentinian government declared absolutely that one Argentinian peso is worth exactly one U.S. dollar, no matter what. And as you might know, you can't just say this in international commerce. You have to mean it. You have to back it up. Argentina filled its central bank with U.S. dollars. And it said, it guaranteed, whenever anyone walks in with a peso, we'll give them a dollar, no matter what. Paul Bluestein is with the Brookings Institution, and he tells this whole story in his book, And the Money Kept Rolling In and Out.
0: It was an act of desperation, but they thought that they really had no choice because people had such low confidence in the willingness of the government to discipline itself that they thought they, that they had to take a step like that.
3: Now, weak countries try this all the time, tie themselves to a country that's doing better than they are. That's what Greece did when it joined the euro. It was essentially tying its economy to France and Germany.
2: And that's what Argentina did. But the U.S. is so much larger, so much more powerful than Argentina. It was like a skateboarder holding on to the rear bumper of a Camaro. All of a sudden, Argentina is being pulled up to speed 60 miles an hour.
3: Which is kind of thrilling, right? Think about what happens when a weak country all of a sudden gets a strong currency. Argentinians felt rich Very rich. They could buy all sorts of stuff from abroad because their peso was so strong. So their imports went up and
2: the economy was booming. And the money from the rest of the world came pouring in. And think about this. Investors are always looking for a high-growth country where the money is also safe. It's kind of the best of both worlds. All of a sudden, Argentina pegs its currency to the U.S. And banks think, well, we like the U.S. We like how fast Argentina seems to be growing. How about a big fat loan, everybody? Argentinian debt, their government bonds, became the hot investment in the 1990s. And all of a sudden, Argentinians could borrow
0: at very low rates. It worked brilliantly at first. It worked for about seven or eight years. They had fantastic growth because Argentina was really finally joining their rightful place in the ranks of the world's economies.
2: And this part is just like the story of Greece after joining the euro. Greece could borrow money at incredibly low rates, France and Germany-style rates. And that's exactly what they did, borrow a bunch of money.
3: So the country's booming. The debt is growing.
2: For Argentina, the whole currency peg was working out until it wasn't. A strong currency is a mixed blessing. Imports from other countries seem cheap. But Argentinian exports suddenly looked incredibly expensive to the rest of the world. Its manufacturing exports suffered. Its wheat and soybean crops couldn't compete. Unemployment in Argentina went up. The government started to borrow more money to keep the good times rolling. This is sounding familiar. The country was surviving on credit.
3: Now, normally when a country slips into recession, the government can stimulate the economy by lowering interest rates, by allowing a little inflation or weakening the currency. But remember the peg to the dollar that made Argentina so trustworthy. Like the skateboarder holding on to the Camaro, Argentina had no control over where it was going. They couldn't do anything to get the country out of recession. In fact, the U.S. dollar and the peso right along with it just kept getting stronger and stronger. And the country
2: kept getting weaker and weaker. Argentinians knew this was headed for disaster, and they did what people do. They panicked. There were riots in the streets calling for the government to spend more money to fix the economy. And the smart folks, the ones that knew the disaster was just over the horizon, started to sneak their money out of the bank, change their pesos to dollars, and get the money out of the country. It was what we now call a slow-motion bank run. The government
3: needed those dollars to maintain the currency peg. They couldn't deal if all the dollars in the country just up and left. The government didn't know what to do. So in December 2001, it
2: closed the banks, said, you can't pull any money out, sorry, and people freaked. Eduardo Fabian Arias was living in Argentina during the time, and he told us the story of his aunt, a school teacher. She'd worked and saved for 47 years, and when she heard about the banks, she, just like everyone else in town, rushed over.
4: She went to the bank, and for the first week, the bank was closed, and any people responded nothing, because the bank was absolutely closed.
2: And we're not talking just about a locked door. The banks boarded up the windows. They put up a fence to keep the mobs of people away.
4: And when the bank was open, they say, I'm sorry, but we don't know when you received your money. And she was very, very upset.
2: And by the time she would get access to her money, it had already lost most of its value.
4: Ninety-seven, ninety-eight dollars dollars They put it in the, in the bank, and in the one moment, she no have nothing. <laughs>
3: So, there's rioting in the streets, very little paper money, very few jobs, and through this time, the Argentine government keeps borrowing, but the interest rate keeps getting higher and higher. So, that means the more they need the money, the
2: more expensive it gets to borrow it. So, that skateboarder holding onto the Camaro just lets go. 60 miles an hour. You can imagine the crash. Paul Bluestein wrote about this in his book.
0: Two weeks at the end of of 2001 and the beginning of 2002, where they had five presidents, because there was so much rioting in the streets going on and so much upheaval, the third of those five presidents was a man named Adolfo Rodriguez-Sa, and he got up in the Hall of Congress and declared a suspension of of, uh, payment on the government's debt. And all the, the deputies were standing up and cheering him on, chanting, Argentina, Argentina, like that. And, and he, he declared, quote, the gravest thing that has happened here is that priority has been given to foreign debt while the state has an internal obligation with its own people. And you can just sort of hear the, the thunderous uh, chanting going on in the background, Argentina, Argentina. This was really a cathartic moment in the country's history.
2: Cathartic and disastrous. You thought things were bad before. You should see what default looks like. The government had just become a bunch of deadbeats. They can't pay their bills. They can't prop themselves up anymore with borrowed money. And nobody trusts each other. Money can barely move through the country. Employees don't trust their own paychecks. Stores worry if credit card payments will go through the banks. People are hoarding cash and spending it judiciously. No one wants to pay for anything. So Argentina was left with little choice. The currency peg had
3: clearly failed their economy. So they cut the tie of the peso to the U.S. dollar. And, as you'd expect, the value of the peso plummeted. In the end, it settled at around a third of its previous value. Like, if you thought you had a dollar, you found out you only
2: had 33 cents. Total disaster for Argentinians, but also a huge problem for international banks. Remember what had been propping up this country for all those years? loans from banks and investors. And this isn't over. To this day, investors who were stiffed by Argentina are desperately trying to get their money back.
1: The fundamental problem is there is no international law for bankruptcy.
2: That's Robert Shapiro, who is in the
3: Clinton administration. Now he represents all those people who lost money lending to Argentina. And guess what? They're not going away.
2: It's got a lot of people banging on its door. And those people have a stern-sounding name. America, task force, Argentina. Shapiro is the co-chair. So here's the issue. Argentina didn't totally walk away from its debt. A few years later, it offered to pay back about a third of what it owed. Half of the foreign creditors said, okay, at least it's something. But the other half said
3: no way. And remember how we were joking about bill collectors and repo men at the beginning. That actually happens when a country defaults. Around the world, Argentina still owes about $16 billion with interest. And that's a big motivation for the lenders.
1: They hired lawyers and they went to court.
2: But where would you go to court? You can't go to court in Argentina. They'd throw No, it out.
1: you go to court in the country where the bonds were actually floated. Which was? The United States, mainly.
3: You see, investors weren't stupid. When they loaned money to Argentina, they put a clause in the contract that said, This will have to be paid in U.S. dollars. And if there are any issues, uh, we can take you to court in New York. So they go to court
2: in the United States. And does Argentina show up?
1: Oh, yes. Argentina showed up and Argentina has lost about 104 cases.
2: So you sue and you win.
1: You win. What do you do then? So the problem now is, yes, she's lost and she refuses to pay. And uh, it's very hard to get a sovereign government to pay.
2: This is where the muscle comes in. In the old days, countries would go to war when one government stiffed somebody else over loans. But these days, the fighting is on the field of international finance. You could seize financial holdings, but those
1: holdings, like those reserves, have all been moved or largely been moved to the Bank of International Settlements in Switzerland, where they enjoy the immunity that Switzerland gives to all banks.
2: So the, so the lenders actually tried to find the money out there. They tried oh, yes. To,
1: They've been trying to find the money for years now. If
2: they can find an Argentinian bank account somewhere, they can legally take it. Correct. They have to find it first.
1: Correct. And <laughs> that means that Argentina is effectively barred from raising money in international credit markets because anything that they raise could be seized. That's the sanction that's been imposed. and.
2: These guys have to own some land in New York City or something. They have a they
1: have embassies. Yeah, it's that's immune from Oh, um,
2: you have looked into it, huh?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Other people have. People have been very creative trying to find something Argentinian yes. they can take, huh? Absolutely. You see when countries default, they have to be careful about everything. Lenders may try to go after airplanes that are owned by the national airlines or they'll try to detain warships in a foreign port. In the case of Argentina, one judge put a hold on an Argentinian military warehouse in Maryland that reportedly contained a plane and some weapons. They've even tried to seize the Argentinian central bank accounts at the Federal Reserve. And Robert Shapiro says it goes without saying that no one is going to lend you money for a long time.
1: You cannot escape the basic rules of the international capital markets. You cannot abrogate them and think that you will pay no price. Uh, And... Um, You know, over time, there isn't any doubt that the price that Argentina has paid is much greater than any
2: benefit. So this is a cautionary tale of how not to default. And it would provide a simple lesson, except there is one crazy thing. It has been a tough decade for Argentina. But a lot of people think that the default was the best thing to happen to them.
3: After the money was devalued, banks opened up again. Pesos weren't worth as much, sure, but Argentinian products suddenly looked cheap on the world market. And that's been really good for Argentina's economy. Exports of staple products like soybeans and wheat went up, and eventually some investors started to lend Argentina money again, but
2: nowhere near the levels of before the default. This whole thing is something of a happy ending after just a really long nightmare of a story.
3: But you can see why everyone is worried about a Greek default. The riots in Athens have been going on for a while. People are already pulling their money out of Greek banks. Greece has no control over its own currency. Greece is Argentina, just before they put the fences up around the banks. How do they keep from going over the edge?
2: They go to their creditors, who are also terrified of the Argentina story. That's why we hear about investors willing to accept half of what their Greek loans are worth. That's why we hear about bailouts of Greece before the country even goes under. Everyone knows what happens if you wait too long.
0: ARGENTINA! ARGENTINA!
3: The really scary thing is that Greece could actually be in worse trouble than Argentina. Here's the problem. Greece can't do what Argentina ultimately did. Once Argentina unpegged their currency, their economy started to get better. It was sick, sure, but it faced the problem. Instead of looking to others for a bailout, they bailed out themselves by unpegging their currency from the dollar. People bought their products and they could recapitalize.
2: Greece's currency isn't pegged to the euro. Greece's currency is the euro. There are no piles of drachmas ready to be put into circulation for when Greece decides to unpeg from Germany. If Greece leaves the euro... If it pulls the full Argentina, I mean politicians standing up in parliament, everyone shouting, Zito Lava, Zito lava," <laughs> What are they chanting? <laughs> that's, that's long live Greece. We, we asked one of our Greek colleagues, Zito lava." If Greece <laughs> renounces its debt, it will have to rebuild everything from nothing. Argentina had an escape hatch. Greece does not. We would love to hear what you thought of the podcast. You can reach us at planetmoney at npr.org. Or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Zoe Chase. And I'm Robert Smith. Thanks for listening.